Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. If there's a stutter over some of the questions, I didn't bring my iPad with the questions on, I've got my phone, uh, I haven't got my proper contact lenses in, so I'm not seeing them really properly. So if there's some really weird <laughs> questions going on, it's because I'm not reading them properly. I, uh, I'm Vaughan Allen from CityCo, as you probably know by now, and I'm at Blueprint Studios in sunny Salford. And I've been saying Blueprint Studios in sunny Salford for probably the year that we've been doing these, because uh, the guys here have been kindly editing most of the podcast, all, all of the podcasts. Uh, and this is actually the first day it has actually been sunny, I think, uh, <laughs> that I've recorded the podcast on. It is glorious outside, so we are, of course, inside in a studio. Uh, and one of the questions for the guys I'm talking to, I guess, is is how you spend your life uh, in this environment, uh, living inside the cave. Um, Blueprint, as I said, it's hosted a few of the podcasts we've got. Uh, they edit all of them. So we thought it was time to focus on, on them, their story, the story of this bit of Salford. Uh, I'm talking to Tim and Ian from the studios. Um, thanks for coming all this way, guys. It's, it's really, really good <laughs> of you to come here. Give us a stretch. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> Um, let's start with the basic stuff. Uh, both the history of Blueprint, how did it start, how's it, how's it evolved a bit, and also uh, how did you get involved? Um, well, it started about, was it 16 years ago? I think Maybe longer than that? I think it's... It's probably longer than that, actually, isn't it? I think it's more like 17. And well, then if you, if you add on the discussions leading up to yeah. there being a building, it's probably longer than that. Well, I, I met Tim when we did a sound recording course at uh, the School of Sound Recording, and that was in 99, was it 99? That was the term, yeah. Yeah, um, and then I just happened, we were both late, and I just happened to sit next to him <laughs> at the thingy uh, in, the, in the course, and then we had to pair up for, for projects and stuff, and then... Yeah, I, that really haunts me, that, actually, because we met, it, it, we, we both went on a course not knowing anybody else on it, and, uh, was this in Manchester? Yeah. Yeah, it was when SSR was at uh, Tariff Street. Oh, right, yeah. Tariff Street. Um, and I was late, Ian was late, um, and so we were on the back row. Uh, and Ian, who the... Uh, principal. Principal said you needed to partner up for the entirety of the course, so that's quite a... You know, you're going to be with someone... And I, 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 I feel really bad because I did. I turned to my right, of which there was only one person, then a wall. And I turned to my right and instinctively knew it wasn't them. And I turned then to my left, where Ian was sitting, and we just went, okay, so I don't know who it was. Or what happened to them. But, yeah, they, they, only had, they either partnered up with the wall or the person in front or were left on their own struggling to find someone. So I, I don't know who that was. No, I don't know that. But one. realistically, I would have known who they were because we were on the course together. Yeah. But I, I turned so quickly. No, I can't remember who it was. This doesn't matter. Either way. Um, yeah, we, so we did that and then um, we, we did the course together and then um, obviously got to know each other pretty well in between whiles. We used to go for cups of tea. Yeah, um, it was... When was it? Uh, well, at night and day. It, was, night it day. was kind of a fortuitous yeah. meeting, really, because... There were, for, for those who are listening who are young, there were a, a, a lot fewer places to go for yeah. coffees and stuff oh around, God, around the Northern Quarter in, that, in those and There was days. nowhere else to go to. Uh, SSR, realistically, at that time, was night, the night only place. I suppose you could go for a beer at Dry, couldn't you? And then, well, that, then there were a few of the pubs. The only two. Yeah. You know, Gulliver's and, and the Castle at that time, you know, you were a bit yeah, yeah, daring yeah. if you went in there. You went in, in a group. That would be yeah. when you'd go in. But we were kind of fortuitous, I think, in me, in, um, because... I'd lived in Manchester all my life, came from a musician's bandy background. Um, and we kind of, we're already kind of plugged in, just uh, and in terms of how we kind of clicked mentally in uh, to end, you know, at that time we had no idea we were going to run a studio together. Mm. But just over time, we just kind of, we just worked very well together. We're, we're, I think we're quite different people in it. Yeah. But somehow... Balance each other out quite well. So when you got out of SSR, what was the, the first move? Were you already thinking about having your own studio, or was that no, we did you were then looking for we employment in other studios or wherever? No, yeah, we both we both they did used to do a, a the music open learning provision for the New Deal. We yeah, it was a layer for that. Yeah. Yep. So um, if I think if you've been signing on for over six months or something like that, if you were in a band, you actually got free studio time. Yeah, which coincided when we were. Uh, further on in the course it was a two-year course so both Ian and I were offered jobs at the studio 
once during it, during yeah. so we were so we had a set of keys because we had to let each you know ourselves yeah. in but we also were the in-house engineers um for the, the new deal so we had this essential practice you know because we had this constant stream of bands to record and work presumably with a huge range of quality and ability and yeah. understanding of studios which must yeah. have been amazing well, exactly, practice. because it's, yeah, it's, massively. it's one thing understanding how to you know signal flow bring a microphone signal through a wall into a computer or onto tape but dealing with loads of different people and different kinds of bands is what you don't really get on the course so we were very lucky to have that um but essentially part of the course was to do a business plan um yeah and even though we did separate ones a studio came up and just talking in night and day you know it was yeah you know elbow were very old friends of ours and at that time, I remember them doing Cast of Thousands and they were going to Liverpool. And I was like, but that means there's not a studio in Manchester. Um, and we were like, well, there actually isn't one. Um, and we, you know, through funding, which essentially a lot of it's come through Ian's family, um, we've been able to do this. Um, yeah, we kind of, I think at the end, after we'd done our course and maybe worked for a little bit, I did some sort of teaching at Spirit as sorry, School of Sound Recording as well. Um and then we I kind I looked for jobs in studios in London and um sort of other places and it, it it was so hard to find. I think you kind of I got offered like one place, but it was kind of it was sort of trying to survive in London on sort of ten pound a week or something yeah. like that. It's <laughs> like there's unless you live there and you've got family there, there was no way that that, that was gonna happen. So that was kind of quickly a case of this just isn't isn't going to work, and then, um, fortunately, at, th- at that point, um, like uh, Tim said, we had just the opportunity to start something of of our own. Um, but it wasn't necessarily going to be in Manchester. No. Um, and Ian, Ian mentioned quite cryptically. Actually, we used to be sat in night and day at the bar, and we used to go in every day, you know, for a cup of tea, and we we got we got to know. You know, it's funny that that time was, you know, it was before Elbow had won the Mercury Prize. Um, and, you know, all the staff that worked in Night and Day at that time, you know. Tash. Well, Tash and, you know, and Mel and all, all these people who were, you know, about us have all gone on to do, you know, really cool stuff, you know, tour managing, you know, great people. And it it was just yeah. a really interesting time. But Ian would um, kind of ask me these questions cryptically about studios and what would you do if, and what would you do that? And, you know, I just sat there going, well, if you don't, you know, does it going off on one? And which led to, to Ian saying, well, we could, you know, which, you know, we're very lucky. Um, but at that time it could have been, I'm sure you brought Bristol or Brighton. Bristol and Brighton, Because Ian's yeah. not tied to Manchester <clears throat> in terms of where he's from. No, I'm from Gloucester originally. Yeah, so. whereas I was, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a Mancunian and we don't like leaving. So how did you make the final <laughs> decision where it was going to be? Uh, it's kind of obvious, really. It's such a, you couldn't, it would be daft to set it up in London because there's too much sort of competition for starting something like this. And... As Tim was saying, there was just... I mean, from my point of view, if 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 Ian had said, well, I'm doing it in Bristol, I wouldn't have gone with him. Yeah. You know, it, to, for me, it was this opportunity is in Manchester or, or, or I'm not in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't... The only reason that I, I think... The only reason I'd, I kind of thought about doing it in, in Brighton, mainly because I wanted to live by the sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was I Which is a good enough reason. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I look back now and go... Oh, yeah, you're, you're quite close to the river here. Pretty much the only <laughs> driver of that. And then, and then Bristol, because it was kind of... I, I, I knew Bristol to a point. Um, my, it's quite close to where I'm from. And like, in terms of musical sort of output in that area of the country, it's you know it's the best um but it was just it, it was too obvious to not do it that's why i came to manchester in the first place was because of the course and the music and stuff that it that it output at that point in time and, and obviously before just that, forever yeah so yeah. It, it yeah it was just it would have been daft to do it anywhere else and and i i you know by that point i i i really liked the place like the the, the people and i felt at home 
So at that point, when you decide to actually do it, is there then a and where we go, where are we going to find the clients and actually how are we going to do the business side of things? Because well, you're think, you're experts in the recording side of things, but but yes, well I done a, I done a hospitality right um, H and D. My uh, my dad um, was I wouldn't say less than supportive, but not very supportive about a career in music. Um, so he and I'd. My my background was bands, and um, and basically I worked in restaurants to support that. Um, so and also all that information that I'd picked up from being in band bands that weren't getting anywhere and just being around the whole, you know, trying desperately to to find a way in music, and and all this stuff that you know that my dad essentially was saying, get a proper job. This is a waste of time kind of that's when it, it it became useful because I'd been to rehearsal rooms and yeah. knew where they all were and knew the good ones knew the horrible ones and could go well that's why they're horrible but I think we knew that I think the main thing was that we knew that we couldn't survive just off being um a recording studio um we didn't have the experience as engineers that's what we wanted to buy ourselves we wanted to buy ourselves the opportunity to be creative um, but I think because we knew we needed premises, it we we decided to start with rehearsal rooms, um, because we knew that if we create a a hub, a community of musicians that use a certain place, and that place is comfortable and inspiring and creative, that as engineers and people who wanted to be producers, um we'd have them there that we could do a deal with. And that's essentially what we did. We set up a set of rehearsal rooms. We worked down there. We met all the bands and we pretty much said to them, we've got, we set up, we, we had very, very little gear. I think we had about eight mics, a tiny little desk uh, and a, a, a Pro Tools little rig, an LE, like a home setup. Yeah. But we put it in the, the big room on the top floor on an old office desk. And we just said to the bands coming in, um, we'll record it dead cheap. We're not, we're learning. And it just, it literally just went from there. I know. <laughs> There's lights going on and off. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> no, no, it's very, very <laughs> subtle. Very good, Shady. Um, how did you find this place then? So did you only take one, and did you only take one for it? Did you take the whole building to start with? A whole building. Um, we, we looked for probably a good six months you um, did most of the looking. Yeah. I kind of came in when Ian had found a place and You not see any of the other ones? I think I came to I think I came to a couple. Um Most of them most of them the, were like disused sort of disused mills, but they they were either in a really bad state of repair and there was just no way that it was gonna happen or there were too many stairs or yeah, just loads of still too, there's too many stairs here. <laughs> yeah. Right, but, there's always too many stairs. Especially as you get older. Yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I, I when I came to this place, it I don't know. It was just obvious to to me. It was just, oh, th- th- this is the place. Yeah, and I I think I probably went on about it. I think when you go when you when we looked around this place, it, it was it was kind of open and it was like a textile sort of storage place. And then on the top floor there was a, a it was yeah. it was kind of an office space. You, you kind of you walk if you walk in that room. Um, have you, you been up to the big room? Uh, no, I don't think I have. No. If you go I into the room, you kind of just, and I was go, just like, Oh, this is where if you were in a band and you walked in that room and you were going to be playing in that room, you'd just be like, "Oh wow, this is just a lovely environment to play music um and 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 the these next two floors I mean we're on the middle floor um they would they would just you could just look at it and go, it could be great, yeah, even though they weren't you know I mean the windows were blocked up and you know it was it needed a lot of work mm. and we did all the work we had to that was kind of you know i mean i'd never laid a brick in my life but we we learned how to DIY <laughs> you know so we built the place for the first year what was year. the building originally um, in the early uh, when it was first built it was a mission wasn't it yeah well, it was built in 1870 you know and um, there was a an american um an american guy called william mather moved over uh, to salford um, he became an MP for Salford, um, and 
he owned, or he was a co-owner of Mather and Platt with the sprinkler systems. Um, so I, I assume relatively wealthy, and this area was uh, residential, but apparently quite cosmopolitan because of the the docks. So there's lots of Poles and Russians and, you know, all sorts of, um, you know, different backgrounds here. Um, and this building he used to house societies and so it's a shame because I couldn't, it's Salford History Library. There doesn't appear to be any photos or or anything, which is a real shame. Um, but there's the odd bit of um, writing about it. So um, a, a ragged school's been mentioned. Um, it's got that churchy, schooly sort of. Yeah, there isn't a kind of. Lounge, we've not it? got a clear picture. Um, we've just been able to sort of find bits of information. So there was a society called the Pleasant Sunday Afternoon Society that was here. Um, Which is a great name for a band. I love that one. But, yeah, it's amazing. It sounds like a Kinks album, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Um, we we actually did. We did resurrect it for one night on the eve of the smoking ban. Um, we had. Do you remember? It was Midsummer's yeah. Day, and we had a party upstairs, and because we we. we one of the ways that we kind of drew attention to ourselves early doors was was putting on quite a lot of events, and we were young enough to what's... to hack it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it the events yeah. kind of done that sort of as we've got older and the hangovers get worse. Um, but um, yeah, but I mean, we've had um, you know, kind of people, sort of a couple of elderly fellows who've been in the pub, walk past you know after a few, and they can remember it from. They used to, there was one guy who used to sort of fuel the furnace. Yeah. And so we've had the odd like stories here and there. John Cooper Clark came in and I'll never forget that. He, he, he came to the door and he just looked terrified the first time he came. And um, so it became clear that um, he'd been brought here as a kid. And it just, you know, suddenly came back to me. It was like, oh my God, my mum used to bring me here. You know, there's it's, but we don't know. My next door neighbour, who's a historian, found an article about it being a ragged school, and apparently on this floor, I think I've got the figure right, but up to 600 kids would sleep. What? Was it 200? Whoa. You know that, I said you. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'll have to dig that out. Yeah, I'll dig that out. It could be an amendment to the addendum. Wow. I didn't know that. So you start with rehearsal rooms. Yeah. Do you remember who your first booking was? Uh, no, I don't remember who the first booking was. There, there are. I remember the bands from that time because yeah. there was bands like the, the Suzuki Method. Yeah, who were great. Yeah, they were. The Paris Riots were great. Um, I see angels. Well, yeah, but they That's... were called what were they called? Glass, Glass. at the time. Yeah, they're I see angels now. Uh, brilliant. Um, um, Tricky um, Nixon. Tricky Dixon. Who became Joy, the Joy, Joy Formidable. Yeah. Um, who else? Oh. Uh, Bulgoose Looney. And I think Ben now plays for Miles Kane. And Chris, hurt. the drummer, plays. Oh, yeah. But they were called Daggers. Daggers, that was it. And Bureau for a bit. Yep, Bureau, yeah. Um, um, the Cortinas. Did yeah. they rehearse? Or did they just yeah, no, they rehearsed for a bit. Yeah. There's quite a few bands from that time who went on. I mean, Hurts are huge in Europe, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I mean the Cortinas are massive, aren't yeah, they, as well? Yeah. yeah. Um, elbow, obviously. Yeah, Elbow. Well, actually, the first band that would have rehearsed in there is you. Actually, you're right. Because we, we were tested, able to... We were, we were yeah. testing PA. So the, <laughs> the first band was, yeah, Phantom 5000. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't a commercial book. famously got <laughs> in the city once. Who <laughs> 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 famously did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they made no difference. And they're very good at testing PAs, though. And then how long did it take for the... I mean, you're doing a bit... So you're doing a bit of recording in, in the top yeah, room. Yeah, because the big room... I mean, as much as it just had, like, a, a nasty green carpet in it and and stuff, it was, you know... It, it was fine. Um, whereas this floor... We did up downstairs. That I think that took a year. Yeah. And we pretty much traded for 18 months before we even started building uh, this floor. This floor was just blocked, you know, just, just open. <laughs> You couldn't. And presumably the vision was always to have proper studios in there as well. Yes. Um, um, so, yeah, we were trading downstairs We as a rehearsal room. Once we got the kit set up, we actually... I mean, bear in mind that we started this 
we didn't have any business training whatsoever. We didn't know what the hell we were doing, really, did we? Okay. We had a bit of support, but we were left to make this up as we went along. Um, so we did advertise as a studio, yeah. you know, um, and I think, you know, we were young, we were, you know, from my point of view, well, and your point of view, I, I, this had to work. You know, it had to work. There was no question about it. So a lot of it was intuition and passion and and energy. And I went round every single hotel in Manchester just saying, well, you know, with little flyers going, we've got a studio, so if I have any people coming... Because we knew, I think we knew instinctively that we wouldn't... We'd be more to do with young bands coming through and, and moving on rather than you know, you two come in to do an album with us. I think if you're at a certain level, Manchester isn't necessarily the natural choice to come and record an album if you can feasibly go to Jamaica or, you know. So, but we were aware that, the you know, just from being in bands and how bands work, that there's possibly passing trade um, because bands don't stop working. They have to... You know, and technology had moved on that you could work modularly in the sense that you could have a producer in London, but doing something, having someone doing something in a studio in Manchester and then sending it because of the internet. Um, so I went around every single hotel in Manchester with flyers, you know, specifically the ones with for the arena and the Apollo and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we also, we got in touch with as many agencies as possible, didn't we? In LA, in New York, about their touring acts. Mm. And I think within a month, we had a call. We had we had a call at about midnight, and this this kind of changed everything. Um, and I was actually living on the floor somewhere in the building, um, yeah, completely illegally. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we both lived here. <laughs> needs must was <clears throat> a skint, um, and it was the Lowry Hotel. It was some a concierge guy, and it was midnight. And this guy said, uh, we've got a client who wants to come in till six in the morning. And I was like... Really? <laughs> mm. Okay. And at this point, all my savviness of going round and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'd kind of completely vanished because I was tired and I'm, I'm not working till six in the morning from midnight. Um, and this guy, he just sounded a bit awkward. So clearly he must have had them with him in front, you know, in front of him. And he... Eventually, I kind of like because he, he was quite persistent, and I eventually went, "Who is it?" Were you trying to dissuade him at the time? Oh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and in the end, I said, "Who is it?" And he said, "It's Fifty Cent." I went, "Send him over." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually work on the session. I was there just kind of doing the hospitality. Um, but basically, basically, Fifty Cent and G Unit came and did all the clean cutting for their because in each territory, musical territory. The what's acceptable yeah, swearing course, yeah. noise is is different. So we just did all the Which thing. is great for the local studios then. They have to but redo <laughs> it. meant that we had 50 cent on our client list. And it kind of did the rounds. The, the rumours. You know, and it was like... Oh. And, and how was Mr. Cent? In a... um, they they uh, jet-lagged, basically. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, either that or... Something else. <laughs> um, do you think they just re- realised at midnight that they hadn't got clean versions for the UK market and they needed I, to do I, I, I don't, I have no idea. But I remember watching Jonathan Ross the, 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 on the Friday That's going, for. we did that. Just a little... Um, <laughs> but I remember I had to go to... They'd never, some of them, or all of them, had never tried um, tea. Like, you know, a cup of tea. So... I remember going to the Tesco's on Market Street, the Express, Metro, or whatever it is, and uh, getting a few different types of tea. And um, Yorkshire tea was there, the one that they like the best. Very good. As a Yorkshireman, <laughs> obviously, that's the... Mind you, I don't think there was Lancashire tea at the time. And Lancashire later... There's a Lancashire tea now? There's a Lancashire tea now. There's a Devon tea. There's all sorts of different things, yeah. Oh, God, I don't think that. Coffee. Yeah. You, you get it? It's, <clears throat> it becomes very parochial after a while. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody actually demanding a particular county's tea, though? <laughs> I don't think I'd want to make the... Yorkshire tea. Yorkshire tea is fine. That's made by Betty's. We know about Betty's. Betty's a damn good company. Um... How is that about? So you get the recording studios, and 
were you building did you build the whole floor at, at once to get all the services at once um pretty much yeah this floor yeah yeah, yeah. well we had a um well it, about that time so we'd been trading for 18 months we'd been doing little demos i mean it wasn't pro gear by any stretch of the imagination and it kind of didn't need to be for what the bands wanted at that time they knew they weren't going to abbey road um more well, shabby road <laughs> um uh but we wanted to go pro so you know and thus this floor came out but about the same time um elbow were looking for a studio in manchester um and i think pete pete had come to one of our launch nights upstairs and he'd seen that space so i'm assuming yeah, we didn't really have this conversation with those guys. What, what, I, I assume Pete must have gone back to the band and said, there's a good space there, Tim, you know, because we known each other from college. Um, and I remember Craig, was it Craig and Guy came round? Or it might have just been Craig. And basically they came in to do, so it was 2004, they came in to do um, Leaders of the Free World. So we had a bit of a a deal going on. So they had that upstairs were completely self-sufficient um, and we so we, we worked down, down here till three o'clock at three o'clock the hammers went down and the drills um, and they started the album till and they worked till midnight yeah. I'm pretty sure sometimes through the night yeah um, and they did that album um, yeah. so essentially even though Leaders of the Free World wasn't as successful as the seldom seen kid we had this amazing no reason why not because that's it's insane that that album didn't yeah. blow up in the same manner um but we had an amazing album come out of the studio before we even had a, a proper studio um and that's kind of where the association with elbow you know as blueprint and elbow kind of came from um and so we were just lucky in the sense that we we were getting these nice little bits of PR, a decent mm. PR, before we'd mm. kind of... Before we without having to think about it particularly. Yeah, it, it did all feel very... That t- specifically that time, you know, because when that album came out, there, there was there's a DVD, because um, the Soup Collective pretty much documented the, the whole album. And I think, it, was it a limited edition with the... Yeah, with there's the a, basically, DVD. There's a, there's a little film for each song on that album. Um and they kind of they they did the they did the filming and stuff at the same time as they were kind of writing the album. So you'd have uh, they'd have like a little section of the room sort of boxed off where they were doing kind of stop frame animation of yeah. kind of cables and things like that, kind of moving around. And well, it was just a very creative time, and the Soup Collective just did some amazing stuff on that DVD. Yeah, and um, which kind of the building was kind of the canvas. You know, they used that the, the space. So, and and from our point of view, everything was happening then because we'd kind of gone from one floor having rehearsals going on, and you know bits. It was the first time that the whole building was full, you know, with creative stuff going on, and it just felt amazing. Mm. Um, and and it you know every time something like that happened, it just kind of spurred us on, didn't didn't it? Because yeah. we didn't have this master plan, as in. In terms of a business plan, we never had a year one, year two, year three, we're doing this. That. It, it, because it was about creating it, something sustainable. It, it wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme. We, Because it, it, we kind of knew that would be... if I think in music, if you... I mean, you can pursue that in music, but I think it means you have to... I don't think we're those kind of people. Where, you know, I, don't think, I think you have to be quite... I think yeah. it does actually. It does fit in terms of kind of how it grew. It does fit as as people in terms of not particularly kind of showy or anything like that. You don't shout it, about it. No, we've not, not done. We don't really. Ad, we, you know, we don't do a lot that. of advertise. We're not very good at. network. <laughs> 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 I mean, you you don't see us. You know, we don't go in town. We're not at the opening of everything and. It, we're not very good at that kind of thing. Um, 
but because we like being in this room, we like being creative and uh, and working with the bands and doing all that kind of stuff. Which I don't know. I think if you if you know if someone stopped us now and analysed it from a purely business perspective, they'd think we were insane, <laughs> and they'd probably say, "You know, you're not going to be millionaires just yet," and we'd be like, "Yeah." Well, to start to start a recording studio, at just the point where the legend is that recording studios aren't going to be wanted because everybody's going to do it yeah. at home on their computer. Well, it's a particularly interesting well, business decision, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You know, the subtext is there, we opened a studio at the most stupid point in time. Yeah. And we know that now. But at the time, I think we actually happened to not catch something, but the way that we'd studied was a combination of analogue and digital. And therefore, we opened a studio that was... A combination of analog and digital because it's all we knew and it wasn't we didn't sit down going oh what it has to be that it was just all we knew um which bought us some time because a lot of analog studios were just who hadn't embraced anything digital just vanished because i mean if you just think about if you're running purely on tape just from a time point of view mm. having to rewind and forward wind you know, takes a long time. Whereas we'd kind of learnt on tape theoretically rather than really had to work on it in that way. We were already on Pro Tools but using tape for the sound of tape and stuff like that. So a mixture of luck and stupidity and just persistence, I think, is why we're still here. I remember sitting in with... uh... <clears throat> and I can't remember who I was interviewing at the time, but sitting in with Adrian Sherwood in, in the On You studio when he was recording things and he was getting, I think it may have been Gary Clale, but it may have been one of Keith LeBlanc, um, and recording everything like 12 times through different effects, all onto tape, then taking the tape out, cutting it into pieces that were really amazing, great, then sticking it all over the wall and then randomly picking different <laughs> bits. And that's one of the reasons why you can suddenly go from this amazingly compressed thing to this amazingly on his tracks because it's, just random, yeah. But right. obviously, <clears throat> the amount of excuse me, the amount of time that that then takes to do that, and yeah, then to exactly. think about it, and, and then how is that then going to work as the final as the final version, and yeah. that sort of dedication to splicing everything back together. Yeah. yeah, and the youngsters I, they won't believe you these days. I think it's you, amazing, <laughs> but it, that kind of creativity is just not funded anymore. Yeah, you just and, don't and you have time. your own studio. That's why kind of that you get when when elbow do stuff and they they have. So much time to kind of be able to experiment with, you know, recording drums yeah, and stairwells. I mean, it, it's and just testing things until you get the sound that you're kind of thinking about, rather than trying to just be limited yeah, to what you've It's you know, for a young got. band. I mean, I, I it it's really hard, you know, to especially. Well, it depends what kind of artist you are, but if you are the kind of artist that does need a studio to get a decent drum sound because you are using acoustic drums, etc. You know, a young band, we can only do so much for nothing. You know, we've got, we've got what, seven, eight staff. Um, we have to pay them. We have to take money in. Um, but we are, more often than not, the, the, the people left to fund, whether a recording is progressed or, or not. Um, and, and it's, for, I think, for the, the young bands coming in who... They don't, you know, they can afford a couple of days. And in a couple of days, you can only do so much. Um, I, I always think it's hard for, I mean, you know, the elbow are at the stage where they can afford to spend that time doing that. Uh, yeah, uh, but but of the problem course. often is that if you can spend to spend that time, you really do. And then you end up with like the new Arctic Monkeys album, which is, you know, 10 tracks into search of a tune and just so yeah. incredibly... Forgive me, as a Sheffielder, I should, I should <laughs> complete. They're not Sheffielders anymore; they live in LA. Um, yeah. But you know, you you end up with something totally self-indulgent as well because you've lost that. Oh, oh, oh God, we've only got a day of, of time, course. and there we've got to record the, there that. Is the middle you know? ground, you know. I mean, nothing. You know, you're right. Nothing. I think wildly creative comes out of comfort and ease, um, but there's a middle ground, and there's just so many bands that come through here, and you just think, I wish we could say to you, have two weeks. But we can't, you know, we we can't all the time. Um, how, how has over the years then? I mean, over that decade and and more since um, uh, Elbow were recording here. Then, how have what people needed or what people wanted from you in terms of recording or even in terms of rehearsal space? How has that changed and developed? Um, I think 
there's still a decent, you know, we still, there are a decent amount of people or a decent amount of um, bands about, but I, I, everything's certainly... You probably the, get... The, the, the way that um, different... I mean, I remember, you know, when mixing rap and rock was, you know, the, the, the front line of creativity and, and, you know, that was breaking boundaries. Uh, you know, that once upon, you know, when I was a kid, it's like, wow, God, he's rapping and there's... Hmm. But the, the way that um, <clears throat> genres are just morphed into music now in, in a very, I think, um, smooth way. It, the, the amount of... Loads can be done at home. Yeah, but there's loads of stuff that still needs a studio, um, for for musicians to perform. Um, you can't record an amazing. You can't record an amazing kit in a tiny room with no vibe if you want it to sound cavernous and and you know the the unique. We've all got the same plugins. We've all got the same. Uh, you know, we can route music through any amount of things, but I think in in what makes things vibey is the sound of spaces. Um, I think that's what makes records sound unique when they talk about the sound of uh, such and such a studios. They're not talking about necessarily the equipment, they're talking about the spaces. Um, and people will always need amazing spaces to come in, so it's not necessarily about the gear anymore. Um, we have, you know, we've got a beautiful desk and but hopefully we've got interesting spaces and I think that's, people will do part of their project here. I think we, I think it's unlikely that uh, a lot of bands these days necessarily just go in a studio, start and finish there. You know, they, they jib about. Yeah, you know, quite they, often it's nice to have, it's nice to be able to do that in terms of budgets as well, where you've got, mm -hmm. if you know somebody's, adept at recording and they can get their guitar lines and stuff sorted at home or the, the like vocals maybe occasionally you did a project where you gave somebody a thing to do well that was yeah i mean part of, sometimes part of the production is taking them out of this space as far as i'm concerned yeah um i, I did an album with a girl called jenny Sordin, and she just wasn't comfortable singing in a studio space between the hours of 10 and 4 that's when you have to catch your moment. It just doesn't work like that. So part of my production style for that was taking a Pro Tools rig to her house and showing her how to use it so that as she was comfortable enough, she could just record her, her vocal when it suited her rather than booking a studio between those times. Um, do, you, do you still get people coming in who've basically got no idea how a recording studio works or, or because of all that digital yeah. stuff. Do, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Honestly, I was going to yeah. say, because of the digital oh, stuff, do people I, actually I, have some idea? One, some, we always get them. At some point, I think, I mean, we talk that <laughs> we'd like to release a book of some of the funniest emails you will ever read that we've had. It's kind of cruel, but it sometimes cool. an email comes in and you're just... But, I, it, oh God, it's... It, yeah, yeah, you you do, but part of it, you know, as much as sometimes you, you can't help but laugh because they're funny, um, we're that that really is a, a core part of our business. It's not all, even though we've got a, an amazing client list of you know some of the biggest names in music. That's not our core business. I mean, if it says Smokey Robinson on our client list. That doesn't mean Smokey Robinson came in and spent a month with us and we're all big buddies. That could mean, essentially, that he came in for an hour and recorded a vocal. Mm. Um, I think it was half a day. But essentially, it you know they're the things that... It's nice to have those guys uh, on your client list because I think it... Well, if Smokey Robinson trusts these guys, that's great. But most of our business is our young or inexperienced people doing all sorts of stuff, not just music. You know, we get people who are, you know, they've written a play or they're doing a film and they come and do the dialogue here. Um, and, it, I, you know, I think we're probably more known for music, but we record audio. I mean, we get used a lot as a location. 
mm. for films and stuff like that. Um, and podcasts, of course. Yes, and, and podcasts. podcasts. <laughs> and so anything, you know, we've done health and safety, voiceovers, adverts, we've done Barclays. all the Doctor Who, <laughs> all, uh, all, the, all the rail notes you know, on the tram. <laughs> yeah, whenever you're at a Metrolink stop <laughs> yeah. and somebody oh, goes, best of the barn, that was recorded here. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's, I, that's kind of our... So for most people, actually, probably they're more likely to hear your work on the tram. Definitely. Exactly. More yeah. people will have heard that than anything else. Yeah. I think you always, you always try and kind of, for the part of the process when people come to sort of inquire, there's always quite a lot of sort of front-loaded questions to make sure that anybody that obviously isn't experienced within a studio, that, that we make sure by the time they get here that they're, they're kind of ready to be here and not taking yeah, them Yeah, there's a kind of a period. Unnecessarily. It's all very, you know, lots of bands... It, it kind of they get together they've just got this especially bands get together and they've just got this gang mentality us against the world and that's completely that's what you know you want but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing everything in the right order mm-hmm. they think they're ready to go in the studio as engineers and producers we might go and we will we will postpone someone's recording we send people home if if because we don't want them to waste their money and we want them to come back again um and We've a lot of experience, even if it's not necessarily, we might not gel with a band creatively, I might but not be the right producer for a band, but in terms of making them more efficient and how better to use the time, we can give them a big list of really simple, logical, common sense prep points before they come in the studio. And we do take the time to do that because we do want them to come back. If they don't do it, Mm. There's not much we can do, and I think at that point we either go, okay, well, it is what it is, or there have been cases where on the day of the day one we've sent them home because we know it's worth it, you know. Just yeah. before we get to the to last question, I'm going to rewind there with, uh, so you do the Doctor Who audiobooks, Does it, so that means you've had Tom Baker in here? Mm, no, not Tom Baker. Oh, so we have had Sylvester the Daleks. <laughs> That's pretty good. Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sylvester McCoy has done loads of them. Yeah, Sylvester McCoy. And also, who's the who's the lady? The lady from Blake Seven. She's brilliant. Oh, Serverland. Uh, yeah, the one that plays Serverland. Yeah, whose name I can never remember, but it's just she's amazing. She is the most lovely woman. (laughs) She's so good. Yeah, she's She's the most lovely woman. Such a nice lady. Remember her name? I'm surprised you haven't been invited to conventions and stuff to talk about this. I'd love to. That would be hilarious. Because the guy, the who played, who did the original voice for the Daleks we've had him in he's and genius so he'll be doing his part in the vocal booth um, but once you've done a take the effect doesn't turn off so <laughs> once just, he's got it locked in he has to stay in that what the effect is it's on yeah, oh it's so, sorry yeah, it's yeah, 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 so like it. a little box <laughs> yeah so they're having think, chats but like so you're having a, a conversation and so, so hearing a Dalek say is it okay if I go to the toilet <laughs> Um, and taking the mickey out of the other cast so, members as a darling it's just, it's, yeah, just it's hard to keep it straight <laughs> yeah. somewhere there, there, are, there are outtakes of that <clears throat> yeah well somewhere I've got somewhere. all sorts of that, stuff yeah. there's what, what there I are fan about, sites that would probably pay for that you know yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. I, we've got yeah they're, they're somewhere I mean <clears> the, what I love about uh, the fact that you know we are 17 years in pro, what 12 no 13 maybe on the studio whatever it is, there is an, an awful amount of audio history of this place knocking about, you know. Um, when Marky Smith passed away not so long ago, it immediately reminded me of all, all those sessions and I listened back to some of the the recording before they did takes and, and stuff like that with, with Mark talking and, you know, it, listening to how he worked as an artist it was just fascinating, you know, and we've 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 got that and I'm glad we've archived it and I hope at some point we we can find a, a viable way to do to you know, to, to have that available, you know, some interesting bits of mm. Is there a rights issue over stuff like that? It's like who owns that? Well, this when is, they're being this recorded is what we in the background, I mean, it's a know, weird a one. Part of our so job is being yeah. very, very discreet. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, about who we've got in and own and the projects they're working on. But there is a lot of, you know, there is, so it would be talking 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, we certainly wouldn't be just going throwing it out there. But that if if somebody we'd work with, you know, thought that some of the stuff that we had was interesting historically or, or whatever from the time we've been there, it'd be lovely to have some of that available because some of it's really interesting to people as as fans of music, you know. Well, or the or Doctor. Doctor <laughs> I think everybody would love to hear a Dalek say, is it okay if I go to the toilet? <laughs> Surprised it isn't a ringtone. Um, <laughs> finally, I mean, just looking at the, sort of the area, how's the area changed over the years that you, you've been around? Um, There's a lot more flats a lot going up last... now, isn't there? Well, I think when we when we were here, when we bought the building, we were the tallest building on the block. Hands down, I think. Yeah. On quite, it was, and now we're definitely not. Tiny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, we're, now we're dwarfed by, by several. There was, there was nothing here. There was like a car. There was a smart car, smart car showroom like behind, on, us. behind us where the um, Spectrum flats are. Um, a Beto wasn't there. Obviously, all the big buildings that have gone up recently that are up there, they yeah. weren't there. Um, it was just I mean, a bit of a wasteland, really, wasn't it? Like, well, just, it's, it it's really weird because we're kind of in a bit of a middle ground because it is still a little bit like that. Yeah. But it's, you know, the dots are kind of slowly being filled in. Um, and I, I think because of the recession as well, I mean, I remember, you know, we've... Because we've been here so long and we were here as a creative business before anything really was here at all um they've i think part of the redevelopment kind of had to work round us a little bit um you know so there was a lot of visitors via the council regarding the development happening then the recession happened and i think everything must have been put on hold uh and it certainly's picked up again in recent years yeah. but it's still you know pretty much a big car park, um, you know, with people living next to car parks. So I think we kind of, we kind of, we've been involved in the redevelopment and stuff, but we're very busy and we have to keep, it's changed so much, you know, that it's hard to get a little hard to keep up with what, what's actually happening. Um, so we just kind of crack on and we're, you know, we opened the door. It's like, oh, there's another <laughs> there's another book of yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's, it's it has been nice in the last few years because like the artworks being opened down the road. And, That's been great. Um, I think they're they're moving suddenly yeah. in August. And then obviously Esther and the Eagle kind of moving in and, and making Who, that. Who's on another more. podcast in a few weeks' time, guys? Is she? Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> or cool. as Guy Garvey calls uh, the Eagle the downfall <laughs> because that used to be you know you. We didn't used to go in there, you know. It was a little bit like a, the saloon went quiet. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah. Esther, you know, since Esther is taking over and there's a little venue there, um, it's it's changed round here, you know, because we, well, we have a pub that we're happy to go in and and, and in a music venue. So it's people people have more people have more of a reason to come to this little bit of town yeah. Yeah. where people would only come here to park or to use the studios. Now you will come for a gig, and people go, "Oh, is that where Blueprint Studios is?" You'd you'd never kind of be here on a weekend and see anybody around here, really. Yeah, um, whereas these days, especially when the sun's like this, you're, there's loads of people outside the pub. And yeah, stuff and it's, you know, people were a bit worried to walk here and yeah. stuff like that. It was you know darkness on the edge of town sort of thing. Yeah, but I think people, you know, people are kind of gradually feeling a bit more comfortable, and as the re, as the regeneration continues. You know, I, I, I'm hoping that it'll become a lot more sort of more creative businesses around here. Mm. Um, fingers crossed. And then, fingers crossed. And then what's your plans for here? You got any changes underway? Um, well, I guess the, the, the aim is to keep it I think, full. And... Yeah, I mean, we're not, me and Ian aren't getting any younger. <laughs> um, so succession uh, in terms of... Um, you know, we've been engineering and producing here for a long time. We do have freelancers that, that come in. Um, but I, I think it, it certainly in terms of uh, succession, getting a, the, the looking, starting to look for the, the younger generation of producers and engineers, um, rather than just relying on ourselves and the freelancers. Um, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, 
we've not finished the building. Mm. You know, we've, it, it's, I think one thing that we didn't really consider, and we, we were buying our opportunity to be creative. Um, it's probably not as much as we expected to get out of it. Um, and I don't think we, at the time, gave too much thought to how much time it would take to manage a building. Um, because we were, you know, young and naive. Um, so we've not quite finished the building. Um, so I think certainly the next year or two is uh, making the big room more accessible. Um, it's a difficult loading, shall we say, but an amazing space. Mm. Um, so that's what we're working on at the moment um, with lifts and all that kind of stuff. Um and then we'll be making the most out of that space because it will be more accessible. Succession, and um, I, th- I, a bit more I think we're, output, we're I think. yeah. I think we'd like things to be running, ticking over a little bit more, um, without um, necessarily me and Ian needing to be involved as much as we have in the past. And um, we've got an amazing new studio manager called Grania McLaughlin, who's taken a hell of a lot of weight off mine and Ian's shoulders. Um, so I'd like to think that there's going to be a lot more creative projects that we're either funding or just personally involved with over over the next few years that we can concentrate on. We've just got to kind of curate that quite well. Because less business management, more creativity. I think we've earned it. Building management. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much. Thank you to Tim and Ian and to Blueprint Studios for hosting us. If you've got any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email at podcast.cityco.com. Next up, we're talking about space. Is it as big and dark as people say, or is that all an MSM lie? Uh, With Tim O'Brien, who's from the Department of Astrophysics at Manchester University. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on all good podcast services, a few terrible ones and some in the middle. Please leave us a review if you like what you hear.